You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1988 cult classic, Pin. It is a cult classic, and even it's a really small cult. It's a very small cult. Well, according to our good friends at Fango, it is one of the 101 horror films that are, I don't know, awesome, but you haven't seen. I can't remember the exact title of it. You mean our friends at Rumor Magazine and the 200 alternative horror films you need to see? But that's what I'm saying is our two big horror magazines, competitors, bitter rivals, yeah. agree that this film is amazing and also propose that we have not heard of it. What's cool is that those are our North American, our massive horror magazines, our horror journals of record Mm -hmm. i wonder what scream has to say about it or any other overseas if this is just a north american cult as it were Mm -hmm. that'd actually be quite interesting contact the boys at scream see what's up yeah see what is up this film we had decided to do but it was also a request a friend of mine uh, matt burnett he had asked me ages ago if we would ever do pin because this is a movie that this dude saw when he was quite young and was quite enamored with it and he's not really a horror fan but is he a fan of live dolls anatomical study models from what i know about this dude probably thanks burnett (laughs) thank you no seriously thank you because i do love this film i might have watched it around the same age as you my uncle had it and when i saw it in his collection i was like "Ooh," because the cover is pretty intriguing right yeah i uh wanted to watch it my uncle said oh that's a good one but he kind of had that look like oh i don't know sort of the same look he had when i was like i want to watch pink floyd the wall and he was like "Ugh," thinking about the flowers right oh okay yeah. i was confused for a second i was i i was thinking to myself what's with the pink floyd no good no no yeah but it's just a little much for like a 10 year old that might be true now i we watched the the dvd version of this i had acquired this into my horror collection in a really roundabout way, and it was only because a friend of mine's girlfriend was downsizing her horror collection, and so she basically handed over a stack of five or six horror movies. Most of them were things you had, or, things or, or wor- worthless, like The Uninvited and 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 stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which we we definitely agree that that movie is worthless. Yeah, worthless. But amongst that was pin and i said oh no fucking way so yeah that was coming home with daddy totally it seems to me that it's hard to come across like people have complained here and there um remark had just mentioned this uh debuted in 88 yesterday so it's really timely and kind of adorable that uh we're covering it today but the all most of the thread was like damn i love that movie too bad i can't have it too bad i don't own it too bad i got rid of it it's it's being re-released. I don't really get it, but it's hard to come by. So you're uh, one of the lucky few. West. Yeah, handsome, and also owner of obscure horror movies. What more could a person want? That's true. I'm the total package. I think that when people are talking or lamenting the fact 
that they don't have this film, it's because of the fact that it's not top of mind. Not at all. Yeah. And and I feel like we're kind of going into a little bit of bedrock with horror right now that is not really top of mind the entity. It's a fantastic horror film. We just did it. It's not really top of mind. But when people say, oh, the entity, everyone is, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. That's a good one. Same thing with Pin. If people have seen it, they said, oh, yeah, that was a really good movie. But it's not in the same breath as some of our larger horror films. Even the original Psycho, like the amount of people that know about it far outweigh the amount of people that have actually watched it or have watched it recently. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, definitely. And it, it's interesting that you know that thread because that's definitely a thread of these, like, underground gems. Mm-hmm. Well, not really underground. They're they're known, they're written about, they're talked about, but mm-hmm. not watched or talked about as often as they should be, I don't think. And they're also about sex. Oh, yeah. That's very sexy. All of it's very sexy to mm-hmm. me. It's not like overtly sexy, like hiding lipstick in your nipples or whatever, but like it's <laughs> sexy. <laughs> Pin's crazy sexy. This is a girl who has a crush on HK-47. So yeah. Pin is highly attractive. Now, hang on a second here. I got a question for you, and I don't want this to get weird. Actually, I specifically want this to get weird. Do you prefer flesh pin or non-flesh pin. Non-flesh pin. I had a feeling. Yeah. No, and when I first watched it as a kid, I had that dejected puppy hangdog expression when, like, well, how do you like it? And it was like, I don't. And then I had Dr. Frankenfurter's voice in my head saying, I didn't make them for you. So <laughs> I don't like flesh-covered pin at all, and I haven't since the first time I saw him. I get it. Yeah. Uh, it works for the end of the film. Really, it works, right? I love the idea in the film. But if I owned Pin, he would be naked as the day he was manufactured. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of Hiroshi from Wallflower as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. I'd have to say Hiroshi is probably just comes from Pin. I'm, I'm, I swear that that uh, character in Wallflower, and there's a lot of anatomical dummies used in a lot of anime and manga, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are given voices and mm-hmm. personified, right? So We have, um, in horror, there's tons of examples of inanimate objects either coming to life in horror or being a source of menace in horror or being a psychological crutch for killers in horror. Everything from Tourist Trap to even modern films, like you have menacing mirrors, you have menacing dolls. It's, it's, it's all over the place. The Boy, Annabelle, right? People love this type of horror. This is a unique beast amongst the pack, though, because the fact that Pin really is rather innocuous. He, he's, he really is just sitting in that chair. Yeah, he's not possessed at all. He's, he's not possessed uh, and he's not really used as an object of menace except for one real scene. And the rest of the time, he just kind of sits in the chair. And even so, at that point, he's still doing what he does best, which is sitting and doing nothing. He's yeah. doing nothing. He does nothing. Yeah. Which is great. And even the part, the, the two scenes where you're like, did, did he do something? Is he acting with any menace? Does he have any sort of drive or AI? Mm-hmm. At all, at all. It's explained away, of course, right away, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. They in, in the 80s up to 1988, we have seen examples of inanimate objects that are not actually inanimate. And it's up to the audience to sort of discern 
whether or not these things are actually real and actually moving, or if this is the result of someone who is mentally ill, Child's Play comes to mind. Child's Play comes to mind, or then it sits really comfortably between two things, like fully animate objects with a mind of their own and Puppet Master, and things that drive psychopathy and have no say in the matter, like Michael Myers' mask. Yeah, yeah. Which is an iconic thing, mm-hmm. and the Absolutely. movie doesn't exist without it, but mm-hmm. it does nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, totally. The, this type of thing in horror is really, really fascinating. And one of the things that people need to understand about Pin is it really concentrates on this psychosis more so than the regular thrills, chills, and kills. Yeah, there's not a lot of kills. It's very thrilling and extremely chilling. Mm -hmm. So it really succeeds in that manner. And that's the one thing that anyone doling out praise on this movie is that it's creepy without bloodshed. Mm -hmm. And anyone who is wigged out by the uncanny valley, this is going to be a fucking... Two hour nightmare for you. A two hour nightmare, roller coaster of emotion. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all been there. I've told the story on the show before about my grandmother's fucking doll, World War One boy doll that just sat in the basement slumped over looking at me with its dead doll eyes while I tried to watch fucking Star Trek The Next Generation in a Saturday afternoon became a fucking chamber of horrors. I got an Ativan. Do you want to slip it under your tongue? I mean, like, really? Okay, I don't have any Ativan, so I'm glad I was going to say, I can tell you who probably does, this family. Yeah, a whole fucking jar full of it. And if it's not there, then it's at their dad's office, which is cool. Yeah, they're popping that shit like Tic Tacs in this house, I guarantee you. Everyone's too sedated. It's true. It's true. It's not unlikable, though. I, I like this household. There's a lot of fucking problems with it, but uh, surface level. Mm-hmm. I like this household. It seems to be a good place for someone who is oh obsessive compulsive and has some touch aversion and uh yeah, I can see why this waspy little slice of Americana would have appealed to you. Yeah, definitely. Only on those levels, because there's everything else totally wrong with it. And not unlike a VC Andrews novel, which mm-hmm. I'm gonna go on and on and on and on and on. Well, I can't wait. Andrews. I'm excited. Because any fans of things like Flowers in the Attic will see the parallels. And if someone has seen Flowers in the Attic and enjoy that or read any of C. Andrews books and hasn't seen Pin, well, I guess you're out of luck because it's really hard to find and it's not streaming anywhere. So go begging, find a friend, go order it for I don't know how much, try and find it because it's really, really worth it in that milieu. And people who enjoyed Pin and enjoyed that dark horror of the nuclear family and Aryan fucking insanity of being far too blonde and too white for your own good. Um, if you enjoy that and haven't read any V.C. Andrews novels because you think they're kind of airy-fairy or for women or like old or, or whatever or stuck up, I say run out and pick up some V.C. Andrews novels because they are dark. Mm-hmm. They're basically modern, nouveau, gothic horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which uh, pin rests comfortably in that definition as well. You want to know why? Why is that? Because the author, uh, Andrew Niederman, mm-hmm. he wrote this in 81 yeah. and a few other books. He wrote The Devil's Advocate too, which is really cool. I like mm-hmm. that film quite a bit. Um, and he shared an agent 
with V.C. Andrews. And after V.C. Andrews' death on my birthday in 1986. Did you? So wait a second. Do you think that you might be the reincarnation of Andrews? No, because I was born first. She oh. died in 86. Oh, I was but, 11. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. But no, um, they shared an agent and I guess they got talking or maybe that the agent had recognized a lot of the V.C. Andrews storytelling abilities in Niederman and he picked up that mantle. So all the V.C. Andrews after, I think, Dawn are all written by Andrew, which is really cool. Um, it was sort of a big secret. It was like a trade secret. And there's a big introduction in a lot of the books he'd written about how the specially selected author had carried on the V.C. Andrews tradition without anyone really, really knowing who it was. And then it came out who it was. You can't keep that big of a secret, right? But like, it really is written seamlessly, flawlessly, perfectly. And probably just because his natural inclination was to write a lot like her, very similar, which is really, really cool, I think. But you see a lot of flowers in the attic in Pin, just naturally, even though it was written long before he ever thought he'd be writing V.C. Andrews, although it was produced, the film was produced two years after her death, when he was definitely comfortable in writing under her name. Very cool. Very cool. This is why I love you, Lydia. You are a font of fucking knowledge. Not just like V.C. Andrews and incest stories written about super rich white people in the states that sequester themselves in houses and fuck with each other's heads continuously Mm -hmm. i do like that hushed toned look i grew up in a household that had a lot of that especially on my mother's side of the family plastic on the furniture not plastic on the furniture per se but just that pulling people aside and and no one really getting angry at each other no one really raising their voices just like I'm going to talk to you in the kitchen. And, and, and that like a soap ty- opera? Yeah, yeah, that type of thing. And, you know, other type of stuff, too. I mean, we were, we were a diverse family full of... Uh, there were some yahoos in my family, for sure. But, like, one of the story elements that I love is when you take something that on the surface level should be perfect, should be the ideal, particularly what you're fed culturally, this is the ideal whether you buy into that or not. Certainly in the yuppie, 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 spend, spend, spend 80s, this would have been the hallmark of achievement. Everyone's white, everyone's blonde, everyone's rich, everything's clean. And then you look just scratch just below the surface and see things that the general public sees. They know something is wrong with Leon. I think his friends at school know that there's something wrong with this guy. And 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 his sister to rebel, because that's what happens, right? It's like, if you repress somebody, there's two ways that it goes. That goes, they become repressed, and they become a mirror of the repression. Or they just explode, and then they go the complete opposite direction, and they become these wild children and she's not even a wild child but it's just she's by comparison by comparison crazy and out of control jesus christ she's fucking ozzy osborne (laughs) compared to compared to leon yeah Yeah. totally totally i guess that's really similar and then children of alcoholism you kind of go one of two ways it seems too Mm -hmm. there's not many casual drinkers Mm -hmm. that are really average that come from a family of alcoholism they're either alcoholics themselves it seems or steadfast against it teetotalers who probably never drank in their life because they hate that idea Mm -hmm. or just want to be representative of something completely opposite Mm -hmm. 
right? It's just either a lot of bad memories or just want to do better, or they succumb entirely to what they've seen. It's a nature versus nurture thing, I think, mm-hmm, at that mm-hmm. point. Um, and here's a good experiment in these kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, they still look like Ken and Barbie dolls. Of course they do. Of course they do. Holy fuck do they ever. Yeah, you get to see some really awesome hair. Wow, yeah, yeah. Probably the best 80s hair on a girl I've ever seen. She has hair that we all aspire to. Ursula has the best 80s hair I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Because it's not too big, but it's it still evokes that silhouette that everyone was aiming towards. Yeah, yeah. Effective use of curling irons, blow dryers, salon selectives, and Aquanet, I think. Yeah, because she's doing it all. I like how, she's always asking how she smells. I love, I love that. She's a perfume affectionado, but she's probably also talking about her salon selectives apple-scented hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know this isn't really horror proper. No. And I had said when we were watching this, because Wes has never seen uh, Flowers in the Attic, if we ever want to do a not-horror movie at all horror movie, Flowers in the Attic would be the way to go. Um and we're going to be getting back into the horror eventually. We have a couple of films to get through that aren't really deep cut horror, mm-hmm. right? We'll have to do something like, I don't know, Inbred or something after yeah. to get it back into a little bit of gore and guts right here. For mm-hmm. me, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is super deeply unsettling. If you want to talk about horror movie on a podcast called Dead Air, one of 25 of the fucking things, mm-hmm. GameStop has a new podcast called dead air yeah the video game people which is crazy yeah i love that i you know kind of bristled a little that there's yet another podcast named dead air but it's a good name it's a good name and they seem to cover really cool stuff they're up to episode 31 so hey guys congratulations (laughs) on being one of the 25 podcasts named dead air yeah if you're feeling froggy fucking jump i don't even know what that means (sighs) i don't know if they want to fight us like I feel like it's our job to kill everyone else that has dead air podcasts and take their power for our own, like the quickening, like Highlander. Yeah, like Highlander, yeah. <laughs> so we can behead people. Yeah. So there's thought... two of us, so is this like a, a Sith thing we got going on? Sith Highlander hybrid thing going yeah, on? Yeah, and so you could be my dark apprentice. Oh. I wanted to wear a big cloak. But no, you get to wear a big cloak as the dark apprentice. Yeah, but you... If I were the Dark Apprentice, then I would be throwing my cloak back and attacking people all the time. Yeah. You just stand back there and choke them. Well, I don't want to just be, oh, I'm the man, therefore I have to do all the fighting. Why can't I be lazy? Why should I have to do your bidding as the woman? Oh, God. See? You You got yourself right into a big feminist knot there, didn't you? Oh, my God. I did. Oh, but you, to get my title of Darth, would have to kill me. Done. To truly be a lord of the Sith, uh, you have to kill your master. Easy. That's after Sidious evoked the rule of two. Um, anyway. Yeah, so congratulations, GameStop's Dead Air podcast on uh, being one of us. Google gobble. <laughs> Google. Which is cool that they cover horror movies. It's not just all horror games. It's horror games, yeah, mm-hmm. which I, I love. And I really, like, my dying wish. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess my killing wish, because I'll kill you before I die, but whatever, is that you and Chris from Bind Torture Cast do a horror video game episode of one of our shows. I, I've been kicking around the idea of doing a video game thing for a while, because there's so many great horror video games out there. And I'm not just talking about like the modern stuff, because I'm fucking grandpa, and I like 
old video games a lot. And there's a lot of really old horror video games that I want to do. And then it just becomes the the monumental task of actually doing it. And I think about all the other things that I already do. And I just think to myself, lazy. That's why a one-off show would be so cool. I'm just going to keep bugging about this. That's all. I bug Chris sometimes too, but I'm going to start bugging you. Oh God. I just bug you both. And now it's on the show. Here and there in tandem. Yeah. Mm. Now it's public. Yeah, it's so true. Everyone can bug Wes about it. <laughs> Feel free. You know who else has a podcast? Who that is? Shudder. Oh. My pals at Shudder, Shudder Canada, or like Shudder, the royal Shudder has a podcast called Darkest Night. So oh. these horror fiction podcasts, and this is sort of a problem that I have. I know no one else seems to have this problem, but I do. Is when I type in horror podcast, I want a nonfiction, journalistic, reportage on the state of horror, horror news, horror reviews, horror thought, horror critique, horror academia. That's what I want when I type in horror podcast. And there is a flood of horror fiction. Not that I have anything against horror fiction. I'm on Wicked Library and I'm still a big fan of Wicked Library. And I saw a listing come up on Duotrope. So I'm congratulations, Wicked Library. And I know that it's very, very popular. And I know I'm probably going to tune into Darkest Night to check it out because it's probably produced impeccably. I'm just assuming anything Shudder does is done impeccably from my point of view. Mm -hmm. Some people complain the streaming is slow, but I think their internet connections are shitty. But Mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to listening to this. But there is a dearth of nonfiction horror podcasts. Everyone's like jumping on this huge, rumbling, screaming horror fiction bandwagon. It's crazy, man. Really? Yeah, we should start doing fiction. Well, I'd love to uh, read some of your stuff on the show. That'd be great. Hmm, maybe we will. Wes, maybe we will. Well, wouldn't it be kind of fun for us to just read scenes from some of your work? I think that'd be kind of cool as a bonus episode or something. Yeah, we could tack it on at the end, a little 15 minutes. Yeah, do like, do, do like a scene, a scene from one of your, your books, especially if we do something from like Crocodile Rod or something like that. I love that. Mm-hmm. Or some of the new stuff. Well, that's what I'm saying. We want to tease people for the fucking upcoming Night Face 2. Or if we want to tease people for like Pray Light Eve 2. Yeah, when Pray Light Eve 2 comes out, then I'll definitely do some excerpts or an entire yeah. story. Some of them are a little short, so I'd love to do that. In the meantime, if you want to check out some horror fiction podcasts like everybody else, mm-hmm. go to... Um, Wicked Library and check out their Halloween episode, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, because I was thinking, like, we well, do like a radio play. Like, I take a character, you take a character. Oh, that would be fun. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. I think that'd be great. I've got one, actually. It was very, very little, a very small role. And I feel badly offering you such a small role, but I've got one for you. There's no small roles, only small actors. True story. But is the role perfect for me? Yes, I think you'd get a real kick out of it. Oh, great. It's very small, though. I feel bad. So I'll have to write you something bigger. Oh, okay, sweet. Well, you know, if there's more than one character in the story, I could do that as a bit role. I could do one of my character voices, one of my famous character voices. You ever do a pin character voice? I don't know. His voice is up here. I can't really. I need to, like, really practice it. Yeah. That would be probably the creepiest yeah, voice. Like, yeah, it's all, like, weekly. You want to know something? I prefer Leon's father's pin, even though it's the same voice actor that's doing it. Yeah. But I feel like... It sounds a little different. And I think that was probably deliberate because you have two different people throwing their voices, right? You're so supposed the- to, yeah. So theoretically, they should be... I feel like Leon's is a little higher. Maybe that's just me. Maybe anyone could who's watched the movie. Is this in my head? I don't know. 
Now, there's a couple scenes where it sounds exactly the same, but when you first are introduced to the voice as done by Leon, it is higher, definitely, and a little shakier, too. But he is just sort of getting his footing. That's the first time that he's spoken for pen right and we're totally giving away all kinds of awesome stuff about this movie but <laughs> yeah it's in the first time that he ever spoke for pen where he's as surprised as anyone else mm-hmm. right yeah that yeah. Pen's talking to him without his dad present freaks him out we should get into this fucking movie yeah yeah this film starts out like so many moments in life just a bunch of little boys staring at a house Telling apocryphal stories about what they believe is within the house. Like in Virgin Suicides. Yeah. It very it very much reminded me of the beginning of that. And I think that me and my little playmates as a child roamed around this town looking for houses like this. Mm-hmm. Instead, you found like the scat shack and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of them eventually braves up enough to go up to the window. And it certainly looks like a dummy to us. It certainly looks like it's our titular character pin sitting in a chair but then for a brief moment we hear a voice and then the eyes look almost human they blink just once and it scares this little boy because they've been thinking this was a mannequin popped up in a window for probably years and then boom we're out as these kids run away we are now 15 years earlier and then it reminds me of a whole different movie what was that twins or dead ringers the david cronenberg film hmm. yeah kids being warped with sexual information maybe not before their time i think these kids are sexually um mature enough to get what information is being laid out to them but they're portrayed as children that aren't ready for some of this information that they're about to receive mm-hmm. we are introduced to this brother and sister duo of Leon and Ursula, and they're in this big, beautiful house. This is a family of means, and this is a mother that is obsessive-compulsive because they're sitting at their dinner table, and they step away, and the second they do, she's right there with a vacuum cleaner. And This has got to be the highlight of the film for you, just vacuuming and cleaning and and the idea of just this clean immaculate house 24 7 i'm waiting for you to describe where she becomes obsessive compulsive oh right sorry no this is normal behavior and you should probably vacuum the carpet underneath the dining room table the moment people are done eating at it when i walk into your house i can smell the dust i'm sorry not your house any Uh house (laughs) <laughs> yeah um it is a little nuts yeah sure i'll i'll give it that uh i love it i can't not love it yeah i love houses being kept that clean mm-hmm. especially children they're gross so i mean there's definitely shit all over the floor after they've done eating whatever it was they're eating um they're well trained though i will give them that these kids are very well trained mm-hmm. and do keep up very tight so she is being a little overbearing because her kids aren't messy but that's part and parcel with their programming. They're taught that they're dirty and messy just by her actions, right? Mm-hmm. And that sort of like reverse psychology is used really far too heavily in these poor kids. Mm-hmm. And these are clean cut kids. I mean, Ursula is in a nice dress. Leon is in a 
suit and tie. He's in a suit and tie sitting at home. That's fine. No, it's not. That's insane. It's good in a way um, to instill those sort of values. Because like a, a lot of kids do run a little wild and ruin clothes and stuff like that. At least these kids aren't ruining their clothes or shoving their pockets full of earthworms and shit. Like. There's that problem too. But I, I think one of the biggest problems that this has is how these kids are perceived by their peers, their fellow students. And I think the big mistake that this family is making amongst many others. But I think one of the big things that really strikes me as odd about this narrative structure is that these kids go to public school. It doesn't really make any sense to me, given the money that this family has, given the standing societal, the standing that they seem to have in society and how obsessed they seem to be on appearance that they wouldn't put their kids in private school, but they're in public school. I think it's it's just a exercise in normalcy on behalf of the parents. And like far later in the film, when the aunt remarks that having a job is good for your mental health, because like face it, none of these people need jobs, right? They're steeped in old money, so they really just don't need to work. But the attitude, even from the aunt, seems to be like, no, it's good to go and do your part and get a job and be a functioning person that contributes to society mm-hmm. can't just sit back here and rest on our laurels mm-hmm. like leon is a lazy brat but yeah i think that that's just an exercise in normalcy although there's fucking nothing else normal about this family no they're far too strict and yeah i will acquiesce and say that the mother is far too obsessed with cleanliness mm-hmm. up to in the point of admonishing the fact that he had brought a friend over and that he wasn't allowed in the house anymore because he put a little bit of dirt on the, the floor. Um, her her comment of, do you think I have nothing better to do than clean all day? Yeah, I don't think you have anything better to do than clean all day. Hence, you clean all day. Yeah, and whereas her son, Leon, says, why don't you just sanitize him at the door next time? And he gets a smack in the face. Yeah, yeah. You can see that there's a lot of repressed emotions in this family, a lot of stiff upper lips. And this is exploding out into fits of physical violence that it's a slap. It's a it's a a, a clenched fist. It's it's just it's just like ready to explode. Everyone's got such a coiled spring and you're really afraid that it's going to let loose at any time. And when it does, they seem to have a release. But like his mother realizes what she's done. And then you made me do that. By the way, I, I I didn't want you to do, I didn't want to do that, you know. Yeah, and it's really a typical um, perpetuating cycle of abuse that trickles downward. It does cascade downward, and you can pick up uh, texts on uh, family abuse and uh, texts on physical abuse, spousal abuse, and abusing children to see this sort of cascading effect where it affects generations, where all of this rage seems to be doled out on Leon uh, and absolutely none on Ursula, but then it does cascade down from Leon to Ursula, where he is taking out rage on her and being a physically abusive person to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, if he were to have children, let's say that's where it would go and probably affect a son more so than a daughter, because that's just the way that he was raised, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And it's really quite apparent right in the beginning scenes where Ursula. Uh, gets queried by her father because that's the way he sees them off to bed with a little bit of a a math question or reciting alphabets and she gets a kiss on the cheek uh, later revealed that whether she gets her questions right or wrong she gets a kiss on the cheek 
and where Leon gets a much harder question that he's doomed to get wrong and he gets nothing. He gets sent to bed. Mm-hmm. Very, very stark differences between these kids, even though they're raised very, very similarly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and treated like little clones. Yeah, very much so. But yeah, for lack of a better expression, shit definitely rolls downhill. So we can see that Leon has these bouts of rage towards his sister. But also what we learn before we see any of these episodes is that their father is a rather successful doctor. Now, the town isn't very large. There's only six doctors amongst them all. But he's there and he makes doctor money. And we're talking serious doctor money. And uh, in his office where he's got the kids... Uh, over for whatever reason. I don't know why you would have your kids just hanging out in the office with you, but maybe he was t- uh, driving them home or doing something. Who knows? Teaching them something about medicine. It's not clear. But what is clear is within his office, he's got himself an anatomical dummy. This anatomical dummy named Pin, uh, apparently named for the fact that he was originally, the long form of his name is Pinocchio, but he never told a lie and his nose never grew. I guess Pinocchio became shortened for Pin. We learned that later on in the film. But I always, I almost would have liked it without the explanation because Pin sounds so weird. It sounds like Pinhead to me or or the fact that it's held together by maybe pins for joints and stuff like that. Yeah, like, Pin definitely works for me. Um, when I first watched it, I thought it was an acronym. But then later on with a little story that his name is supposed to be Pinocchio. And then one of Pin's final lines actually really drives the Pinocchio reference home. Mm. But we'll get to that. We will. So yeah, they're in there, and their dad is treating another little boy, an unrelated little school friend or whatever, who has the flu. And I guess to sort of like ease the doctor-patient tension with children specifically, he has Pin there, not only to teach kids about anatomy and stuff, um, but he'll like throw his voice and use ventriloquism to talk with Pin, a little bit of comedic banter. Yeah. While telling a kid that they're sick with the flu. Yeah. And I mean, this guy's pretty good at throwing his voice. Really good. He really only can see a little bit of movement with his mouth. With the I, magic of cinema. With the magic of yeah. cinema. I almost would feel like this guy could be like a Jeff Dunham. Like this guy could just have like a fucking, why be a doctor? You could perform this. And it would make me wonder where he learned how to do it. But it's definitely one of those things where... It would be a quirky hidden talent that he has that he has somehow incorporated into his medical practice. And his sex life. Wow. I would think that he probably throws his voice to his dick. It's probably named Pin too. So his his cock could start singing to him. Well, not singing, but talking to his wife. Maybe that's how they get things going. Oh. Well, before uh, she does wash his dick with spick and span. Which is the most hilarious joke that Leon actually makes. And you can see these kids, for all this fucked upness, and we'll, like there's even more fucked upness when their dad starts to talk to them about sex using Pin as a go-between, um, they do get along, despite Ursula being a little more easygoing and Leon being a little more... Uh, militaristic, thanks to the way his father treats him. Putting him mildly. Yeah. Um, but they do get along, just like regular kids. And when they're alone and left to their own devices, they're very regular little kids, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the funniest things that Leon says as a kid, is thinking that maybe his mom washes his dad's dick with spick and span before they do it. When 
they are taught about sexuality, it's because Ursula had acquired herself a lewd magazine. Yeah, that's adorable. And there was no cop there to take it away. No. Um, but that's it shows them being really normal kids. They're sitting yeah. there in his bedroom and she's flipping through this porno mag being like, I wonder if I'll have boobs like that someday. Yeah. And there, it's a very normal scene. Mm-hmm. Very normal scene. But when the mother, dis- uh, they have an outburst because Ursula refers to Pin as a dummy, as a stupid dummy. And this enrages Leon to the point of striking her. And never say that again. Which is hilarious because he just called one of her friends fat. And she said, that's my friend. And she didn't freak out. But he called, she rightly called one of his quote unquote friends, his only friend, a plastic dummy, which is fact. And he flips. It is really alarming in that moment. And you get a sense early on in the film that that Leon definitely talks to Pin and believes he's real. He's seven and his father is a gifted ventriloquist. I could see how he could be tricked, but then probably still believes in Santa. Probably, you never know. What when the, his father's not there? He doesn't like the kids talking to Pin, mostly because Pin can't actually answer them. <laughs> we know this because we're not insane. Yeah, and but the father keeps feeding this delusion, probably not realizing the extent of it. How could he? Like parents who feed delusions of Santa. And you've probably seen kids in your lifetime who you can sort of skirt around the idea that Santa doesn't maybe exist. And they sort of like half believe you and sort of don't. But they also kind of know because they're not stupid. But then they like, I'll just want to live this lie one more year. But then there's kids who fucking lose it. And there's parents that are like, oh, no, don't say Santa doesn't exist. Because they're very weirdly and fucked upedly protective of this santa myth i hate people like that i will tell you i'm already starting to get a little too ranty for my own good here but you know fuck santa okay well i love you big guy and if you're listening i still want that ps4 (laughs) the look on her face guys is fucking uh, precious you know when i was one time one of the uh, examples that i know about watching a parent i had nothing to do with this family it was they were sitting in a restaurant and I was sitting across from them and I could hear what they were saying. And I guess this guy's young daughter was eating too slowly for his liking. And so he kept just saying, eat, eat, come on, eat. We don't have time to go to the park because it's going to get dark. Monsters come out in the dark. He just kept saying that over and over and over again. Just eat. It's going to get dark out. Monsters come out at dark in the dark. I was getting agitated because I was like, don't fill her head with that garbage. Was the kid responding? Was the kid like no, all of a sudden eating like a No, she was just, she was barely paying attention. Okay. And just eating her fries. It always drove me crazy just because I thought, you're filling her head with garbage, man, because you want her to eat quickly. Why are you lying to her to get her to eat quickly by telling her there's monsters in the dark? What do you want her afraid of the dark? There's nothing to be afraid of at night. Why don't you just say that there's not monsters? I understand that there's this idea of wanting to have fantasy and stuff in your in your children's life, that, that air of innocence, and, and this is the birthplace of imagination, and it's good to hold on to it. And I agree, when the kids are young, it's fun to play up with what imagination, but it's also fun to have people understand that it is pretend, it is imagination, so you don't have people that say things like, I can't watch horror because it freaks me out too bad and you can't explain to someone it's a fucking movie man 
man. I think it's just fucked up that he's trying to force her to eat. I don't know why he didn't just be like, okay, you're done. Let's go. We're going. Like, you, you don't need to... What does she... Oh, my God. Was she starving? I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't even want to get it. I don't know. I was like... Yeah, so what they need is parents like Mr. and Mrs. Linden, or Dr. and Mrs. Linden, yeah. um, to train that child the importance of being prompt and on time. Mm. So, when the mother finds that they're having a porno magazine... It's time to have a big old talk. This happened to me and my brother. Uh, we found some porno magazines uh, at the cottage. There was a big old stack of them under the bed. And uh, we were reading those all the time. And I don't really remember the entire conversation because I was quite young. But I do remember that it was pretty awkward as fuck. And we definitely knew that we weren't supposed to be looking at them. But they were funny. They were Playboy. They were classy. Pla- classy porn. Yeah, yeah. So it's okay. It's okay. A little bit of titties, but there's a lot of editorial uh, pieces in there, too. That's the thing about this is because they're talking about, like, feelings for the opposite sex. But Ursula was mostly looking at titties. Like, it wasn't men because it was um, a man's magazine. The first porno I found with a friend, and I think it was, I'm positive it was his first porno, too. Was a playgirl, so it was just dicks, dicks, dicks. dicks. It's like dicks everywhere, yeah, right? Yeah, it was awesome. And uh, we flipped through it for an afternoon and then decided that we should bring it to my mother because we knew, like like you said, we knew we shouldn't really be looking at it. But we didn't feel like shame or weird or anything at all. Like it wasn't, it was interesting and a novelty for a couple hours. And it was like, well, now what do we do with it? It wasn't like what you would think kids would want to do, that one of them would want to hide it somewhere for future use or whatever. But no, we were like, we don't know whose it is or what it's doing here, so we'll bring it to my mother, who said, put it back where you found it. <laughs> yeah, it was probably hers. <laughs> um, so their father decides to talk to them about sex, about the need of sex. And it is very... Capital N, need. Yeah. Ma'am, it is very much that conversation about the mechanics of sex. Now, Leon himself is very, doesn't want to take away Pin's modesty sheet. He has a little towel over his little tent pole. Mm-hmm. And and by the way, Leon has, has had a little bit of uh, understanding of sexuality because he's seen his good buddy Pin getting laid. Which is fucked up. It's basically in a way he watched his best friend get raped. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this. Mm. I've been thinking about this for a while. Okay. So, how do you think Pin's genitals are positioned? Do you think he's got an erection or is he flaccid? Do you think, because here's the thing. I would think that he was just rock hard, rock Hudson hard. And then, but then the nurse would have just straddled his lap. By the way, like the, like a woman, uh, the nurse comes into the office and fucks this doll like it's a dildo that has parts of it, like a real doll almost. And, and I figured she'd just like ride on top of it and go into town. And if his modesty sheet wasn't there, or uh, I feel like there'd be a tent pole, right? So if he's got yeah, an erection, there isn't. there'd be there isn't. So I was thinking one of two things: one, it's flaccid, and that's a really ineffectual sex toy because what are you doing? Just rubbing it up against you? Could very well be. That's what I was going to go to right away is that there could be no penetration involved. But then my attitude would be, I, I mean, yes, like vaginal penetration is not necessary to achieve climax, but I feel like the, 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 the like, why would you fuck a doll that didn't have an erection? Why not just use either your hands or a vibrator or... Maybe she liked the doll. That's true. That's what I was thinking. But but then, 
then I was thinking, do you think it's manipulatable? Do you think that it it like is an accordion dick almost? Like you can like fucking... This it could is... have an accordion dick like our bendy straws. Like our bendy straws. Yeah, exactly. I was like, so you could fuck this. For example, it's like this bendy straw. It's not looking too manly right now, but oh shit. I've got some manly looking bendy straws. I'll tell you You why. do. You have the dick ones, which yeah. I like quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I feel a little inadequate drinking out of them, but it passes because then I'm just aroused. But this, I think it could be fully articulated because the whole model is fully articulated or is supposed to be fully mm. articulated and very, very lifelike. So it could be, for demonstration purposes, able, you know, maybe he's a grower, not a shower, you know, and he will get around. There's a little pump in there. That would be the way I would design that doll so that you could be like, and this is what happens when the blood flow leaves every other bit of a man <laughs> and ends up in their giant rock hard cock. Yeah. I've just been thinking about this for a while. I think about it every day. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It could be flaccid. It could be just anatomically correct, and then it's got um, a flaccid cock and balls, and she's rubbing herself up against it. Or it could have some sort of mechanism to give a huge, like very lifelike male dick that she's fucking with mm-hmm. vaginal penetration. Or it could be somewhere in the middle where it is just like a weird dildo there's some that aren't very stiff so it could just be like a plain dildo i don't know mm. i just wanted your input we'd have to ask sandra stern dr sandra stern yeah i'm gonna say uh and stern with how he treats his and uh, his sex lesson because again instead of just sitting down and talking to his children face to face he's using pin to describe them to him almost in the same way as when you're a kid and you have those sexuality courses about you know being inappropriately touched or, you know, my body's nobody's body but mine. That type of shit. There was puppets. There was a puppet show in that one. One was a shark. I liked the big shark. And I was just like. Wow, we never had any of that. Yeah, I had a fucking, like, <laughs> like puppet show with a, a shark. And there was something. I was obsessed with the shark puppet. Like, I wanted. We didn't have, like, puppets and childishness and shit like that. It was basically, if anyone touches your and you anywhere that you don't like, especially in private areas, you tell your parents if you're not comfortable telling your parents or if it's a parent doing this, you run and tell a police officer or a church member or a someone at the school, an adult that you trust, well, an adult that's not touching you like that. Well, we had a human sexuality shark. That's fucked up to me and fun. Yeah, isn't it it's fun? It's sort of like how the Japanese are trained to use the toilet with cartoons. Yeah. I like that. It is kind of like that. And all I wanted to do was steal it. Like, I wanted the human sexuality shark for myself. I wonder how it would have went if Leon would have had uh, sexuality shark training, as it were, and saw his best friend Pin get raped. Who would he have run and said Pin got raped by the nurse? Yeah, she touched his fucking no-no area, his bathing suit area. Well, the, with the dad telling them about sex, because it's they obviously need to know about sex because they're like, looking through porno magazines and stuff. Um, he doesn't even look them in the eye, like you said. He can't even gauge what these children's reactions are to this information. Mm-mm. Thus, leads me to believe he does not give a fuck. So what's the point of this? Is this all just to placate his wife, I suppose? Yeah, or it is dutiful, right? He is just doing what he feels he's supposed to be doing. In a very clinical nature, because he's a doctor, I guess. Yeah, and, and a dude that is not comfortable with... When he's upset... And you see him, his father, get upset several times. It's that repressed anger, 
where he feels you think he might yell or you think he might slap you or you think he might do anything, but it's all very calm. Just go. Don't tell your mother. It's all about that. It's all about keeping things from their mother. It's all about talk to pin. Mm -hmm. It's all about just a calm, even voice. But you get that bubbling shit underneath where you know there's something wrong. You know this dude's upset. But you know he doesn't know how to deal with it. And he doesn't know how to talk to his kids. He might even be a guy who feels like he needed to have children because that's what you're supposed to do. Because it is very much in families like this. You just, you, I became a doctor because obviously I'm going to become a doctor and I got my trophy wife and here's my kids and here's my beautiful house. And I don't really want any of it. He probably is just as happy to read his book and stir his tea. And that's why they have the woodpile. That's why they have the woodpile to just get out a lot of that frustration. I guess so. Yeah. There's something to be said for that sort of lifestyle though, for like not being overly emotional and not freaking out and not treating every upset with screaming and yelling mm -hmm. uh, but i love films like this and these quiet dark dramas and gothic horror for this reason that shows the flip side of that of how that can really turn on you and become this giant monster living under the family because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it really is yeah absolutely especially when a person of his education and intelligence should be seeing signs that his son is getting to an age where he probably shouldn't be thinking Pin is real. Yeah. And then said, though, like the father should also know that his actions are definitely feeding this. And maybe he should be a little more warm with his children, even if mm -hmm. he's putting on a fucking act because he's definitely fucking a little psychotic himself. Yeah. And I think that it is completely OK for you to be non-emotional. Is, that is OK. Yeah. If that is how, who you are and how you are. Awesome. But you can't make that choice for your children. If they have emotions and feelings and questions, Ursula especially has a. She is very curious about sex. She even though uh, she talks about this need because that's how they frame it for them. The need. The need. When he, adults have the need with a capital N. Yeah, yeah. A lot of stigma around that, and her idea is like oh i think i'm really gonna like sex i think i'm gonna. i can't wait till i have the need yeah i can't wait till Do you i have, have the need, need? yeah no, and he yet. says no i'm too young which mm, i don't know yeah i definitely think that they whether they can articulate it or not or identify what it is children do have the capital n need at very very young ages mm -hmm. so yeah but with this narrative it works they're super repressed children, and all they have a need for is to move their stool when they're done eating so their mother can vacuum where their feet were seconds ago. Mm-hmm. 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 We cut forward in time. Ten years, in fact. And now everyone is a swinging teenager. Young. Taut. Sexy. Fucking. Fucking like you do. That's all that all the conversation is about. For some reason, Leon's at a school dance, which freaks me out right away because he should not be at a school dance. Someone asks him if he wants to dance, and I'm like, "Does this look like a guy that dances?" They do this character very, very well. I don't think that Leon dances. I don't think Leon fucks. I don't think he drinks. I don't think he smokes. I'm weirded out that he drinks actually, but like, he's at a school dance and he's pissed. He's pissed because his friends, friends, he doesn't have any friends. His classmates have put a rather rude bit of Sharpie on his locker, Lydia. 
across a couple lockers and then like great big it's probably like 187 point font size i know if i was his locker neighbor i'd be like dude guys come on i got nothing to do with this why am i part of this graffiti why why do i have to deal with this but anyway they're basically saying that the sister sleeps around yeah. and if you would like to have sex with his sister probably wouldn't be that difficult <laughs> i like the way that you have phrased it and that would be the best you know, that's as as good as I can assure you we are open. That's like... Yeah, it's that. It's, yeah. It, it really is that. Well, because I, I never like to... I, I don't buy into this idea that someone should be ridiculed for liking sex, for wanting sex, and to be available for sex. As long as they have agency over that, as long as it's their decision. And Ursula totally does. She's yeah. totally cool with liking sex. Yeah, and she likes to have sex. And again, this is just what happens. She's having sex in a car with uh, Henry Winkler himself, the Fonz. <laughs> a guy that looks like the Fonz. Yeah. And it seems like the exact type of person that probably wouldn't be approved of by her family because he's just like some no good. He's wearing We're a splicing into grease here. Yeah, he's wearing a leather jacket and no shirt. Like, it's pretty great. I like to know how she got his shirt off and the leather jacket stayed on. That's skills, baby. That, that is, is skills. fucking skills. Not unattractive. I know, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, Leon pulls that fucking guy out of the car like he is Crispin Glover in fucking Back to the Future and just... Boot fucks him. Boot is that, fucks yeah, him. that's the only word that comes Just to mind here. Boot fucks him. Like, beats the fuck out of that guy. And it's one of those situations where y you can tell that there's no one that could really stand up to that amount of repressed rage because as it's coming out, he is screeching. He is so angry. Only because his sister's fucking people. And I, like, this seems to be something that goes on. This could be a daily occurrence at this school, it seems, mm -hmm. because like, People are there to pull him apart. She's crying and screaming no. Like, very um, a typical scene, but it seems to be something that happens often, hmm. unfortunately. And this is where he really asks her questions about her sexuality and how often does she have sex and how many people have you slept with and all these kinds of, like, personal questions that are none of his fucking business. No, but he makes it his business and hers by saying, if you continue to act like this, you consider me not your brother. You won't have a brother anymore. So he's going to disown her if she keeps sleeping around. I'd be like, whoop de fucking do Bring on the dick. And good riddance, yeah. Yeah, bye. Uh -huh. Bye. But, you know, she cares about her brother. And in a way, she's kind of all he has. So I think that that's a lot of the guilt is mm -hmm. the reason that he, she oh, yeah. sticks around here. Um, there's a huge disconnect, too, because 15 years old having sex, I mean, big whoop. I know. I, that was the other thing. I, I, I was like, he, I was like, 15 years old, and that's not even that young, honestly. In 1981, it was young, when this book was written. 88, yeah, you still kind of Yeah, young. you, you yeah. kind of had to put me in my place a little bit, because I was fucking biting down hard. I was like, what's the fucking big deal? She's a 15-year-old young woman, and she wants to have sex with other person, and it's her idea and she's enjoying it it's she's, awesome she's and enjoying fun. it then yeah. leave her alone if you go back into 1981 1988 there weren't daycares in high schools there wasn't sex education before middle school there wasn't sex education before junior high mm -hmm. i think it wasn't till grade nine or ten and i forget how old people are in nine or ten but like before you got any sex education whatsoever mm -hmm. uh there weren't 
daycares and high schools where I went to school until the early 90s. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, I had human sexuality sharks, so... Yeah, so I think it was really taboo at that point still, Yeah. right? They'd still probably, in and this sort of family too, if she were to get pregnant, let's say, they'd send her away. Oh, yeah. You're going to go live with relatives for a while. Yeah. And then you'll come back and you'll be this person's aunt or something. Yeah, exactly. That's where <laughs> I think that would be headed. <laughs> Well, guess what? She has a pregnancy scare. What? That's right. It's been two months since her last period, and that is cause for concern. Now, she goes and talks to her brother about this, who, by the way, has had this really tense fight with one of her lovers who has admonished her on the entire drive home. And then what you might assume is within less than a week's time from that moment, He's just, hey, sis, what's up? That's the craziest thing to me. The, the craziest thing is not so much that he loses his temper, beats this fucking guy to a pulp, and then screams out of the hallway. It's how a day or two later... Because everything's th- fixed Yeah, now. that may as well have not even happened. Water under the bridge. That's what he wanted, everything to be normal. He didn't want that sort of upset. And if he if she'd never tried to fuck a guy and he didn't have to beat her up, beat him, and he didn't have to beat him up, then they would have been like this all the time. Mm-hmm. So it just serves as more reinforcement of never do anything I don't expect, so I have to act like that. Mm-hmm. Horrible guilt trip he sends her on just in that simple thing alone of being totally normal two days later. Yeah, yeah. I don't like it. Even though they've had this this interaction and she knows that he's probably going to hit the roof when he finds out, it's still very much us and them in this family. It is very much the kids Versus the parents. This is what happens in families like this. You have very authoritative parents. So the siblings, you're like a little team. And the worst aspects is when you have to, when it's so bad that you have to backbite each other in order to get rid of guilt or or not get in trouble or, or you feel like as long as my parents are mad at them, they'll leave me alone. But in this case, it very much is a united front as kids because it's, and that comes from their father who's like, don't tell your mother. It's like, that's, you're allowed to do things, but don't ever tell your mother. And so this becomes like, we have to, she wants to come to him expecting we have, how do we fix this without telling the parents? Because that's what she doesn't want to have happen. More so than what she is worried his reaction might be. Which is not going to be fucking great. But he does already know that she has been sexually active. So that takes some of the sting out of it, I suppose. If that's a fucking hang-up of yours. That your sister's having sex. Which in his case, it is. This is where this lives so comfortably in the world of V.C. Andrews. The only change that would make it even more V.C. Andrews is if Ursula were pregnant with her father's child. Mm -hmm. So far, a lot of elements within this are very V.C. Andrews as far as the way that the kids are functioning, the way that Leon is programming a sister to act, the way that the parents have programmed the children to act. All that's very at home with Flowers in the Attic. Even things like... Um, her mentioning Amenoriel, mentioning that she lost her period, something that comes up, I think, in Petals in the Wind. Um, there's a, a focus on menstrual cycles and stuff like that and what happens when you don't have your menstrual cycle for some time and hemorrhaging and stuff. It's very, very interesting angles that you don't expect 
when you're judging a book by its cover when it comes to something like Petals in the Wind and V.C. Andrews books by and large. Um, the weird, almost incestuous relationship between siblings that are far too close yet far too different mm -hmm. and jealousies and using guilt as a fucking crazy tactic to keep somebody from going absolutely insane on their ass or they go insane on other people using these you know examples of extreme calm as a fear tactic uh very very vc andrews i i love this film and points like this where they're having their conversation on the grass about her teen pregnancy situation very at home in that world and i can see why niederman was tapped in as the continuation of vc andrews writing like really hugely and it's interesting that they are writing these things at exact same time so leon has the opinion that they should go ahead and uh, be up front with their father if she is pregnant it'll be impossible to hide and if she waits too long it'll be impossible to get an abortion she wants to wait because she's afraid to come forward with this information well they're at an impasse well who better to turn to as a deal breaker, someone to talk to, someone who is a confidant who they trust. Like King Solomon. Like King Solomon. We need to cut this child in half. Someone who knows them, someone who knows their dad. Yeah, yeah. They need to go and talk to Pin. They need to go and talk to Pin. That's absolutely right. Uh, King Pin. Oh, wait, that's a guy. <laughs> King Solomon, who's also Pin. Pinocchio. He never tells a lie. That's true. Although I have a stinking suspicion that he might side with the brother. I don't know why my voice is so squeaky, but I just think that might be it. I don't know. But Ursula's not really having it because she's saying, this is a serious issue and I need to make a serious decision. And you're talking about going to pin. And Leanne does not get at all why that would be strange. So she tries to frame it in a way where she says, well, Pin won't talk to us unless Dad is there. See, and I hate that slash love it because it drives the future narrative of people not really talking about this in front of him, not being open about his fucking problem, his psychosis, his weird disassociative personality, because it's far more disassociative personality disorder than it is schizophrenia. That, that, that's funny that you should say that because she... She diag she diagnoses him as a paranoid schizophrenic or whatever, but I was like, well, that doesn't seem accurate to me. It's somewhat accurate, but it wouldn't persist. Yeah, I'm positive that that delusion wouldn't persist with schizophrenia, although it would persist with a dose with a dissociative disorder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he could have uh, comorbid disorders. Who knows? I'm no doctor. Neither is Ursula. No. What he needs is a doctor, not his dad. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely needs a doctor, and this is where that warning bell should have gone off where she needs to form one him and have him put in for 48 hour observation where it would become very clear upon questioning about his relationship with pin that he has a mad psychological disorder if i were to come to her defense i would say that perhaps she was hoping that if they go there and pin see talk. and see that pin does not speak unless their father is present it might finally once and for all click now, Leon is under the assumption that it's Pin's loyalty to their father that will make him stay silent while they're there. 
But then something happens that not even Ursula was expecting. And psychologically, maybe Leon wasn't either. That this ventriloquism ability apparently is inheritable. <laughs> yeah. And without any warning, Pin starts speaking. Of course, she's looking directly at her brother while she while this is happening. And we can see his mouth moving. He's not even as good a ventriloquist as his father because his father's mouth moves almost not at all. Yeah, it's imperceptible, but Leon's not that good at it. And the voice that comes out is close, but not quite. Like you said, is a little higher pitched. It's, it's a little shaky. bit more up here. Yeah. Yeah, a little less wispy. It's up here. Slightly creepier. Yeah, slightly creepier. This is how I talk now. No, it's not. I agree with your brother. That, of course he does. Of course, yeah. And thinks that they should go to the doctor, their father, because mm -hmm. he probably won't, emotion probably won't enter into it, which they're totally right. Um, and he is a clinical man, so he'll know what to do. Mm -hmm. So Pin's right. And not only that, but Leon is infused with this energy and excitement because for the first time ever, Pin has spoken to him without their father present. And Pin ends with, we oh, come back. We have a great deal to talk about. Not quite like that. Ew, it sounds so creepy. <laughs> and yeah, Pin ends it with noting that they have a lot to talk about, Leon and Pin. You want me to do my Pin impression some more? No, oh, it's so creepy. <laughs> That's how I talk to people in the bedroom. Really? That's why, still, I'm, that's why I'm still waiting to have sex. You got to learn this ventriloquism, I tell you. That is true. It's like so I, people think my cock's talking to them? Yeah. Oh, shit. Anyways, I didn't, sorry, I don't want this to be so blue, but we'll um, finally get to, this, to the scene where the father knows, holy shit, he is just a big ball of fucking rage, he's screaming, no he's not, he's, the, 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 the shittiest thing he says, which is the perfect upper class wasp just digging sarcasm is I spent all that time teaching about sex and what does it get me? A Sunday in the office. Sunday in the office. That is brilliant. That is a fucking perfect line. And and it's like to guilt trip you, but to also just be like, oh, let's see what your decisions have done to me now. I have to be at the office on Sunday. Yeah. The Lord's Day. It's like all that ballet practice and you want to be a fireman or oh. firewoman. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's right it's, in line with that. It's kind of that. It, yeah. It's just disappointment. Probably taken exactly from life, too. It's such a great line. <laughs> Mr. Niederman probably has parents or relatives or friends or something that just behave exactly like this because it is just so true to life um i like again they're hiding this from the mother by saying just your all of your mom knows is that she's having menstrual problems so i guess it's yeah. normal for him to treat his children because he's a doctor and probably saves them a lot of money like it matters but like it's fucked up to me that he's going to give her a pelvic exam I don't yeah. want. I don't want my dad giving me a public exam. Thank you. Yeah, especially when you are of you have become sexually active. This is like a pregnancy thing. This might be an abortion. He could do probably an abortion right there. And also, the father asking if Leon wants to stay and watch. Yep. 
could be educational. I'm so glad that Leon excuses himself. And this, again, reminds me a lot of Dead Ringers, another film that I kind of do want to do on the show now that I think, we've I think we tackled should... all the sexy films that we have tackled. Yeah, look, my attitude with Dead Ringers is if we can do Pin, we can do Dead Ringers. Yeah, me too. Yeah, okay, it's decided. Yeah, let's End do of it. episode. It's a record scratch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's just do Dead Ringers now. Um, I do think that it's very in line with it here. Very in line with it. So anyone that likes Dead Ringers Mm -hmm, will mm -hmm. really enjoy Pen if you've overlooked it or just can't find it. Yeah. Now, there's a rather fateful day coming up. It's where their father has to deliver a speech and tells the kids, well, see you later. And it seems to be another normal day in the household. Except, except Lydia. He forgot his books or his notes. Yeah, he needs his case histories. Yeah, or the, otherwise he can't deliver the speech. Now, his good lady wife is explaining that, well, we're going to be late. Well, no, we won't because, you know, I can't do my speech without it. So I've got to go. So he goes back to his office and who has broken in? Why, it's his boy, Leon. And he catches Leon. Talking with Penn, which is just weird. It's very weird. He's sitting there talking to Penn by himself. And in that moment, if his father ever had any suspicion about... The state of Leon's mind, there is no question now that this is his nearly adult son who is supposed to be going off to college soon, Mm -hmm. standing alone in the dark with an anatomical dummy talking to it as though it were alive. Yeah. He probably feels a certain level of guilt, too, because he can tell with great acting on his face. He's like, oh, shit, look at this monster I've created. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, We'll talk about this later type of thing. Yeah. Things he doesn't say. Things that his eyes are saying. Things that his eyes are saying, but you could just see he's mortified and he just wants to forget about it and he wants him to go. You leave. And then even informs him, your mother's outside in the car. I don't want her to see you. I don't want her to see you. So he's got to be sneaky as he leaves. Mm-hmm. And then in a telltale sign of how this family deals with things, he just takes Pin with him and puts the doll in the car and his wife says, why would you do that? And and he just explains to her that, well, it would be good to demonstrate with my speech. And then, by the way, I'm going to be donating this to them. They can use it for educational purposes. He's getting rid of the doll. Yeah, right there. Right, right, then, th- and right there. then and there. He's pulling it out of the office. It's gone. Forget about it. And in his mind, if this doll is gone then my son's psychosis is probably cured. And then Leon goes and sets fire to the house, and they all die the end. Not quite. Well, they took away the doll. Well, they did. They did, Lids. But now it's time for the father to express his anger. The only way he knows how. He doesn't have time to masturbate furiously, so instead he just speeds. And you may as well just assume that every kilometer he's... And you may as well assume that every kilometer he's pumping into that vehicle is just a big old fucking punch in his own face because he's just so agitated and the doll is, it seems like the doll might be moving because they swerve and then it sits up and his wife is just like creeped out. Everyone's creeped out by this thing. Everyone is creeped out. Yeah. Everyone except for Leon and the nurse that had sex with it. Like, the dad doesn't seem too creeped out about Penn. No, that's true. Yeah, the but dad he's, likes Penn. He's creeped out about him now, though. He wants to get rid of him. He's creeped out by Leon's reaction and this what he's cre- this accurate. monster he's created. So I don't think he's so agitated that he's late. And he's not too worried about having creepy doll 
mm-hmm. creepy anatomical model in his backseat either. He's really upset with himself at this point. Yeah. And do you think if his wife wasn't there, he'd be speeding and masturbating at the same time? Is yeah, for sure. Uptight? For sure. It would be that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I respect anyone that can jerk off and drive. At a high speed. Um, His, there's the, the sheet that he's covered pin in comes off as well. So yeah. you, there's really great tension here with the speeding car, the bitching wife, the doll sitting up, the cover falling off the doll, the weird look on the doll's face to begin with. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how to describe the look on the doll's face. Mild confusion. <laughs> yeah. like, like, Pin's face always looks like... He is watching a really shocking moment in Game of Thrones to me. Like, that's his face permanently frozen. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I know that the director has talked about, like, subtle expressions being on the doll, but I really only seen one, and it's kind of like you told him a really interesting fact about a boat. Oh. Yeah, kind of. Okay, that, that explains that. With that look, though, while this insanity this weird bubbling insanity is going on in the car it's really menacing Mm -hmm. because the doll seems to be seeing something that's about to happen Mm -hmm. or from this perspective you could even maybe assume that the doll could seem alive there's moments in this film in other horror movies where if this thing was alive this would be the first example of is it alive it seems to be doing things deliberately while also seeming inanimate. So it's playing tricks in your mind. And as the audience, you might be wondering, because at this point, Leon's not in this vehicle. No, so if the doll sits up, this is in another horror movie, the point where the Garrett goes around the neck of the driver. Exactly. Yeah. And meanwhile, his wife is telling him, look, I'd rather be late than this. Like, she's telling him to stop speeding and to slow the fuck down. Then all of a sudden, while his... Uh, while he is just completely distracted by this thing, like looking at the the rearview mirror into the back seat, just staring at this thing, and I'm like, "Watch the road, dude!" Yeah. And and of course she screams, and there's a there's a road construction. He fucking swerves, and as he's trying to stop, Pin slides forward in the chair, and it almost looks like Pin is like grabbed him around the throat. It just distracted him enough, and he sort of reaches back to like, ah, pin, and fucking the car flips, and that's that. That is fucking that. But pin survived, right? Well, pin technically survived because he got pulled from the wreckage. Which is amazing. Thank God pin made it out alive. But Leon and Ursula's parents perished, mm-hmm. and we're brought to the end of a funeral. And now the reality sinking in that these kids are now masters of the house. I didn't mean to almost sing that, but Le Miserable can sometimes overtake me. And they do kind of have this moment where they're thinking, like children, let's take the plastic off the furniture. I'm putting <laughs> I my, love that. I'm putting my feet on the coffee table. And there's We're, like stacks of unwashed teacups. Yeah, because Ursula is like, oh, this place is such a mess. It's like such a mess. There's there's teacups on the coffee table. Like she's acting like you may as well have just thrown a rager. I think that's a deplorable mess, actually. Like really, just the, the mess he's making to me, yes, is a mess. It is a mess. He's being a lazy slob. It's horrible. It is really horrible. Not just in comparison to what the house had been and how immaculate it had been. Mm-hmm. He's, he is being a slob. She's right. 
well, good news, is their mother's sister, their aunt, has decided that, well, she's not going to... Like, Ursula is a minor, and she needs a female influence in her life. So the aunt's going to be staying at the house. She's going to be moving. Leon does not like this No, first idea. order of the day, we're going to put the plastic back on the furniture. Mm-hmm. And this is where you can see the agitation. And I like that he, Leon is trying to get Ursula on his side and say, like, she doesn't want to, she's not going to be staying long. It's like, she'll get the vibe. Yeah, you uh, don't want her here? I don't want her here. Yeah, she'll get the vibes. And I love how waspy that is. I know I'm saying that a lot today, but. Oh, no, that's it, apt. It, it, they're very waspy. It, it, they're very waspy. And, and I like the idea. It's like, they'll get the vibe. The vibe. Because it's all about that, right? It's like, read the room. Read the room. You're not welcome here. No one will say that. But didn't you see? I didn't even put out the good china for your visit. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Was there a coffee stain on your on your spoon? Oh, that's sick. How thoughtless of me. <laughs> if you ever come over and you get that, you'll know that I basically just want you to leave. I can't even think of a comeback for that. <laughs> I'm appalled. I'm appalled. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, Paul, that there'd be coffee stain on the spoon because that's just fucked up. That's a clearly dirty spoon. It's not just not polished. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would react to a not polished spoon. Yeah, but I feel like we're such good friends that I'd really need to drive it home that you are not welcome here. It's like that scene in, uh, fuck, what's that? Movie? What if I just offered to do your dishes? Well, that's too nice for you. But also, that's kind of wassy too. It's like, oh, I see you having a hard time doing your dishes. Perhaps you need some help. I would teach you how to do dishes, because you obviously don't know how. Oh, I put them in the dishwasher and turn the knob. No wonder there's spots on your cutlery. <laughs> and I don't pre-wash them either. I just put, like, a whole turkey in there. Oh, gross. Do you buff your silverware and glasses after? No. Buff okay. them? Yeah. I put them in a drawer, unorganized. It's a mad grab. You want a knife, you want a fork, you want a spoon, you'll never know what you're going to get. That's why we record here. <laughs> In this bastion of sanity and cleanliness. Um, you know that I recently reorganized the bookshelves and they're all uh, done properly now. Alphabetized and, or color-coded? Uh, by size and Ooh. type of book. And also every individual book has been dusted and cleaned. Mm, nice. Mm-hmm. I hope they stay that way. Yeah, they will. <laughs> Cut to six months later. Lydia, it happened again. <laughs> yeah. It's a giant, colorful, mismatched mess. <laughs> At least you know where everything is. I do. It's all up here. That's when people look at my movie shelves. They're like, how do you find anything? I just tap my temple. It's all up here. And it is, too. Like, you can't doubt them. Don't doubt them, people. Never doubt Wes. <laughs> I've learned not to. <laughs> I just don't touch things until he says they've been cleaned. I almost have been... I was almost late today, actually, because I was having a dick of a time finding pin. It took me a couple of... I was like, fuck, where is it? I knew it was... A, it's like bottom two shelves. I know it's the bottom two shelves. And I'm just staring at them. And it got to the point where I was like, fuck. Read every individual spine. Jesus Christ. And then I found it. It wasn't the bottom like that. It was almost like they were alphabetized at one point. What a mm. mess. Well, beforehand, it used to be by... Uh, it used to be alphabetized, but also by type. So before the 1970s were all in one area, 1970s, 1980s, and 90s were all in an area, and then modern horror was all in its own area. I had books by publisher. I wonder what a movie collection by studio would be like. It would be really difficult to do because how would you technically do it? by Because studio and distributor 
Like, do you want New Line or do you want Dimension? Like, that's technically owned by the same thing, right? So I would wonder, I was like, are you going to put, like, Searchlight or, like, uh, Fox Studios? Like, how are you going to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it'd be a big, it'd be a big job. I think the best thing that you can do now, the, the way that I would like to do it, would probably just be simply alphabetized. But if I really, really wanted to do it the way that I w- would uh, envision, I would, like, classic like universal classics and then like slashers all in one spot like psychological horrors all in one spot ghost stories all in one spot foreign horror all in one spot i'd like to do it like that that'd be nice yeah because when it's just alphabetized it seems wrong because there's things that are mix matched in there yeah like classics anime Mm -hmm. things like that yeah yeah and or also the fact that sometimes sequels don't have the same title and so i'd i would be think saying to myself well i want all Juan and together, but they're not all called that. Or like, I want, you know what I mean? Like they're not all out clearly numbered some sequels, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyhow. Sorry, I got into this whole fucking distraction. That's fine. It's fine. I'd want to put Pin with uh, Flowers in the Attic. So. I thought you'd want to put Pin in the bedroom. In my attic bedroom? <laughs> yeah. I would, definitely. Well, this is where we have to keep Pin. Almost like fucking Norman Bates having to stick his mom in the fruit cellar. Pin has to go up into the attic. One is high, one is low. And it's also like representative of his psyche and his mind as well. Of mm-hmm. course, he's in the attic because there's toys in the attic, all those euphemisms for having something wrong in your brain. Um, bats in your belfry, yeah. toys in the attic. Um a light in the attic would be the opposite. Thank you, Shel Silverstein. But like, that's where he goes to live, which makes a lot of sense, actually. Mm-hmm. Now, Pin himself is kept in a wheelchair, and at this point, Leon has started dressing him. That's not unattractive. He kind of looks like Frank from uh, Hellraiser. He really does look like Frank from Hellraiser. Less ooey gooey. Come to daddy. Oh God. And you think your voices aren't creepy. <laughs> creepy? You kidding me? My dick moved a little. So Leon's way of getting rid of Pin is a great scene, but also deflates the rest of this movie in a, in a small way. Because we know that his aunt, after having a conversation with Leon and Pin, is trying to change everything. Which is funny because she's really not, as if anything, she's trying to maintain the status quo. Because what has she tried to do? Have them cook dinners instead of eating pizza and burgers all the time and keeping the place clean, putting the plastic back on the furniture. That's not changing things. That's maintaining things. He wanted to change things. But try to explain that to Pin. Won't even fucking listen. Won't even talk to me, the guy. But what we have here is a scene that we've seen in other movies before, but I, I, I where someone is going to be scared to death. And we're given this information that their aunt has a bad heart. There's all that medication next to the bed. And this is where all of a sudden, while she was asleep in her nightcap and gown, Pin gets into the bedroom. Leon puts into the bedroom. And then he starts doing his ventriloquist act to her, scares her, and has the doll Dorothy. sit up very slowly. Dorothy. I'm right behind you, Right behind Dorothy. you. It's creepy. It's really done effectively. And... Dorothy flips her shit. Um, Ursula is no help. She's been drugged. Yeah, because after they had their little fight about the ant and, and everything. Well, so friends, I overreacted to her dating too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. she went on a date with this dude who has been checking her out at the 
library. The library where she's working. She didn't even tell Leon. Didn't even tell him. Didn't even tell him she has a job. Let yeah. alone a boyfriend. Yeah. See, she's keeping... His world's falling apart. Yeah, falling apart. And he wants to still be friends. Gives her the milkshake. And he's very like, oh, the chocolate one's for you. <laughs> it's not poisoned at all. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It'd be funny. Like, that's how these people get things done. They just poison one another. Yeah. Yeah. Well... After the ant succumbs to a heart attack, Leon just pops up behind behind uh, Pin. So we know for certain that it's Leon and he's manipulating Pin. Yeah, Pin least. didn't cause the car crash at all either. So no. Pin didn't cause this heart attack. Pin certainly didn't cause the heart attack. The heart mm-hmm. attack happened, unfortunately. But like, he's not, he has no locomotion. He's not a doll come to life. He's not an evil doll. None of that. It's all discounted like immediately within the same scene, which mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. they don't let it linger at all for a moment that mm-hmm. Pin has any intelligence or is evil at all. And I will say that I it deflates it because it takes away the the questions of it, but at the same time, it does make this movie more rewatchable. One of the things that I have a hard time with with the original Child's Play is once you know that Charles is indeed in the doll and killing people, then it becomes the, then pulling the taffy on that idea of is this little boy insane or not becomes a tougher sit. I like to watch the first child's play with people that have never seen child's play. But Chucky is such an iconic killer at this point, everybody knows this doll is alive. Yeah, yeah. That's how come I prefer child's play too, because we're just we're done with the artifice. It's just he's a killer doll and he's wisecracking and you know, even though I love him freaking out, like, ah, oh, you fucking bitch. Ah, oh, fuck, I kill ya. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It enough. is. It the is. first one really makes me laugh. But um, this movie, I think the fact that they don't hinge on that, while I'd be like, oh, the tension, I have to think about it in terms of the first time you watch it, that'll be cool. But if you ever try to watch it again, you'd just be waiting for the characters to to find out that Pin's not alive. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, it becomes less interesting to me i don't know if i'm making any sense no you're making perfect sense um that's why i like that it's blown away within the same scene yeah definitely yeah we're not even an hour into this movie and we know that it's, pin's it's, not alive it, pin's not, not alive. alive and but like you only get to sort of toy with that idea for a moment too mm-hmm. and even upon rewatching it it's still fun to toy with that idea mm-hmm. uh within the moment but it's not something that you go back thinking like, oh, I wish I could revisit that time when I thought Pin was alive. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to have those moments, which is fine, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's fun to see even those two scenes, really, because it's only really two scenes that that question sort of might bubble up in your brain that it's still fun to watch. Because you're like, is there any motion like in the back of the car? Is there any moment where they're sort of lying to themselves where pin is making motions like a live person, but there isn't. So it's, it's fun to rewatch those scenes though. Mm, Absolutely. And I think in those brief moments, you get to share a little bit of what Leon's mindset might be because in that moment in the car, when pin sits up, you think to yourself, Oh, is it alive? Oh, that doll definitely caused that crash. Did it? And and so briefly, you get this idea of, oh, yeah, Pin's definitely alive. But then obviously. <laughs> Even with the mother being so weirded out and creeped out by this doll. And when it sets up, her reaction is one of somebody who also believes it's alive. Mm-hmm. And the dad right away is like, we just turned the corner. Like, it's not alive. 
which I like the way that it's shaken loose immediately when that idea of what might take hold it can't. I like mm-hmm. that a lot about mm-hmm. this film. So now the kids, the kids or teenagers, are settling into their new life, their new routine. It seems that Leon has accepted the fact that his sister is now working and she seems to enjoy her job at the library. It's a nice, quiet job. Uh, she is quietly dating this person not really talking to her brother about it. And her brother seems to be content to sit around the house, talk to Pin, write poetry, cook dinner. And this could very well be their lives for as far as Leon's concerned, ever. Oh, it's a deal like it's perfect. Those nasty parents are out of the way. They can take the covers off the furniture once more if they so wish. Mm-hmm. He can just while away cooking and writing poetry. Amazing mm. poetry, if you ask me. Um, deep. It's a little dark. Thoughtful. It's a nah, little, a little maybe, 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 maybe. A Taboo little subject matter, perhaps? For some. For some. For some. For some. But he's in the right setting. He's in the perfect setting to create not only amazing meals, coco vin, he's got a bottomless cellar of Beaujolais. So why not write poetry mm. about raping your sister. Mm. And it definitely seems that this is a family of old money because yes, her father was a doctor, but and was making doctor money, but he seems to be acting as though money is not a concern at all for them ever. Which is weird because he does sort of throw out something about when there's having an argument with his sister about like, oh, if you don't want to live by these rules, like you'll be out on the street, you'll be homeless or whatever, which isn't how inheritance works, but whatever. Mm. Um she is also doing something else he's not privy to and that no one seems privy to. She's reading every fucking book on psych... She's reading every fucking psychology textbook she can get her hands on in the library. Mm-hmm. She's uh, knee-deep in books on schizophrenia. She's definitely worried about her brother. She definitely knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. She's arming herself, I suppose, mm-hmm. in some weird, quiet, waspy soap opera way sometimes when you're feeling a lot of anxiety about something the best thing for some people is to learn as much about it as humanly possible i know that if i was ever facing an injury or an illness or a friend of mine or somebody was facing something i always took comfort in reading up as much as i can knowledge is power and also taking away the mystery around things And ultimately, what she would be looking for is probably quiet ways without disrupting anything to fix them. To fix them, to to deal with this. There has to be tricks that you could use. And it seems that what's working, at least for the moment, is to just indulge his delusions. And he seems happy. And we know this because eventually what's going to happen is there's going to be a, a dinner. Because... She really likes this dude that she's dating, this fucking Ken doll. He speaks a bunch of languages. He's athletic. He's uh, educated. He's a little bit older. He's in college. She's 15. Not much of an age gap. Definitely a Ken doll, though. And same sort of Ken doll as, like, Leon is a total Ken doll. But he's like a new out-of-the-box looking Ken doll. This yeah. is a Ken doll that you find in the sand pile. Yeah, this is the one. This is the one that you, you see Barbie going to the beach with like Surfer Ken, the yeah. Surfer Surfer Ken, or you know, like Leon's really more the one that like stays home and looks after Skipper. Yeah, like he's that Ken doll. Yeah, for sure. It's weird that you know Skipper. Yeah, Skipper was Barbie's little sister. Yeah, I totally totally forgot Skipper existed. 
Not me. Yeah, totally forgot. <laughs> you Tinkerbell skipper. Okay. Um, yeah, and I can see how this would be like really uncomfortable for her because she is at this point indulging his delusion. And I guess Leon wants to like smooth things over a little bit, or maybe he has a large and nefarious scheme already at this point, but he wants to have the boyfriend over. She suggests going out to dinner. He queries like, why you don't like my cooking? Da 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 da. She says, I don't think he's ready to meet Penn, mm-hmm. which says so much. But of course, Leon doesn't get it because he is 100% sold on his own delusion and thinks that he should. Penn's part of the family. Yeah. It really reminds me of this documentary that I watched about real dolls. Which I need to watch this documentary. It's quite fascinating. Real dolls, for those of you who don't know, are very expensive sex dolls. And there are people who treat them as though they were real people. And up to and including introducing people they're actually dating to these dolls as if they were introducing them to part of the family. And it's, like it's a polyamorous relationship. Like, yeah. I was like, I hope you're not jealous. Here's my other girlfriend. It's a mannequin, basically. Um, I, you know, no judgment, whatever. But it is very, very fascinating to look at the psychologically and the types of this all focuses on men. I don't know if there's women who also are into these real dolls there must be but there must be i've just never seen a male real doll no, I, I, think um, about it. I, I think they covered in the documentary oh really if then there i need is... to watch this which it makes it sound like i have way too much interest in this male real doll but for a girl mm. that thinks pen's not unattractive and has a mad crush on hk47 i have no need for a, a real doll it's maybe just... it's maybe it's time though no it's not okay well I don't know if this is part of the documentary, but I do know shortly thereafter, I watched something where it had a bunch of women sort of trying out this real doll. Maybe it was just like another sex documentary that I watched. Yeah, it could be. Okay. I, I don't remember. I need to watch this documentary. Though, it's very but... interesting, though, because because it really, it, it, the, each one of these men who are obsessed with these real dolls in various ways and treats them as though they were real people talking to them, speaking to their relationship in terms that you would speak about a relationship that was between a flesh and blood individual. Um, you, you see that they have similarities, but they're all very different types of people who have different needs fulfilled by these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean things as an offensive term for anyone who likes real dolls is listening to the show. Uh, but uh, so this really reminded me of that, this introduction, an outsider getting introduced into Leon and Ursula's world, mostly Leon's world. And this is something where she probably had to do a lot of prepping for her boyfriend to come over and visit this guy. I don't think she did enough. Quite I don't, honestly. I don't think, yeah, I don't the think so either. The they have the moment Leon leaves the room, I, she should have done a lot more talking. Yeah. Really, truly. That or maybe had a deal with Leon that, you know, we could meet Pim, but he's not staying for dinner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, she didn't do enough prep. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to be explaining to somebody any sort of, like, handicap, psychological difference and illness or anything like that, you do need to give people a textbook fucking preparation for that so that awkward questions aren't asked or horrible conversations aren't had. Yeah, and you're really waiting for him to drop the ball somewhere and say something that's going to set Leon off in a big way. And so he feels somewhat comfortable yet apprehensive to talk to Pin as though he's a real person. And 
to the point where Leon is at ease and even puts Pinaway himself. And I think that in that brief moment, this seemed okay to Leon. Where this can go on forever. Okay, I see. Yes, because for in Leon's world, it's me, Ursula, and Pin. Our parents are gone. We don't want our aunt here. She's dead. It's gone. It's just us. But maybe this person, too, if he understands. Yeah, and and, he seems to. And he seems to understand. And to the point where Leon puts Pin away on his own accord and says, like, he likes my poetry. I'm going to go downstairs, if you don't mind. Like, he's (laughs) just very cheerful and really good. Now... And you're also hopeful that because there's no incestuous relationship between Ursula and Leon... He is still very, very protective of her and mm-hmm. very protective of her sexuality. But this is a man that he seems to let in. And she makes no bones about wanting to be intimate with this man. And oh, they go no. on sexy dates and, and have sexy time. And even though Leon tries to like get revenge or not revenge, but seem like, oh, you're going to get laid? I'm going to get laid. And holy fuck. <laughs> Does he that bring, go south? He eh? brings out that woman that he met at, that was at the dance that seemed really into him. They go to a movie together. And I'm sitting there thinking, this guy is trying to pay attention to this movie and this woman is not having it. She is ready to go. She wants to have sexy time, man. And when they get back to his place, he's kissing. He's like, I don't know how to kiss. And <laughs> she's very upfront. Like, Do you want to go to bed with me or not? Like, what's going on here? And he says that he can't because Pin's in the house or he doesn't feel comfortable with it in. And then she's just saying, well, put a chair under the doorknob, do something. I don't know if she really realizes that he's talking about a dummy. I don't think I think that she thinks he's talking about like a friend of the family or a family member that that might walk in accidentally or something like that. You know, I'm thinking like a, a younger artistic brother that might just toddle on in like that's the sort of like. How should I get from her? And it's weird because this seems to have happened before when he's had the capital N need. He's called this girl or whatever girl because when it all goes south and he's lost his wood, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, she says, you know, I was telling people I was coming over here and they laughed at me, mm-hmm. which I guess this happens quite often when he gets the capital N need and mm-hmm. things go south. Yeah. Or people just know. They, they look at this guy as odd as strange as repressed and has never shown interest in anyone and so what you're gonna go over to that guy's house mr neat freak mr like all crazy his sister's this way and his family's dead now and whatever um they're like just rich waspy misfits in this this class divide because of the fact that they're in a public school yeah and and it's kind of the opposite in which it's not the example of like poor kids going to a rich school and people are like Oh, what's that? Brown bagging your lunch. <laughs> it's not that. It's just like, oh, look at this neat freak over here. Nice suit. It's that, right? Where it's the opposite. It's like whoever's a misfit, regardless of where you come from, if you're not like the others, they will turn on you. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, People are looking for that sameness, mm-hmm. no matter what class you're from. And he even explains it to Ursula why he had had a girl over yeah. was because he had the need. Yeah. Like, that's all it really boils down to, and she accepts his, that at face his, value. His need seems to be terrorizing this poor fucking woman by chasing her with Pin <laughs> in a wheelchair powered by remote control while she is cowering in the corner, terrified. And I was like, what are you doing, dog? Best date ever. Wow. She is in tears. Like, 
crying profusely and Ursula gets home just in that moment and tries to comfort her. And she's, it's just one of my brother's toys. It's just, it's nothing. It's, I'm like, holy fuck, holy fuck. I never understood why people are so freaked out by pin. Like why they're not just like right away being like, haha, that's a neat dummy. The aunt dying and this girl freaking out, I don't get. But it does serve to show how brutal and ruthless and cruel that Leon can be. Yeah. You know, on some aspects, I feel bad for the guy because he's trying, anytime that he tries to have this bout of normalcy where he's trying to, okay, fine, my sister seems into this. Like, maybe I should try to do this too. And then he just can't. He just can't. It's just this psychological bump that he keeps hitting and then it has to get let out in these weird ways where I'm just going to freak her out with Pin. I, and I don't know why I'm doing this. The saddest part of this film, and not, not only him and not those things that you've just said, is the sister's attitude that he has schizophrenia and it's incurable. Because he definitely needs treatment he needs therapy he could benefit from a drug regime at this point you know he is completely treatable because he does have these moments of clarity and normalcy and maybe if they do lessen but placate his need to have pin as a real person in his life he could be he is very high functioning but he could function very normally even with that strange little hang up it's a bit of a minefield traversing yeah that you're traversing when you're talking to this dude and that's why i i even if the conversation between ursula and her boyfriend didn't happen downstairs and the evening went off without a hitch i don't think it would have been smooth sailing from then on i just think that this would be a high point and you would still have to be careful because maybe tomorrow leon's going to decide that he doesn't like this person here or maybe his psychology will start chipping away at him where pin in quotations is going to be trying to undermine his natural affinity for the guy and trying to say, no, he's going to try to take your sister away from you. Yeah. Or... Sort of like he sort of didn't have, didn't have to chip away very hard with the ant. Yeah. 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 Right. Cause it's all about, you're going to change. Our world's going to change. You guys are going to be separated. It's like, it's like what Leon wants is him and his sister and pin in the house being left alone for eternity. That's what he wants. And anything that is a danger to that lifestyle is an enemy. This in a very different way. This guy, for some fucking reason, feels that when Leon's out of the room for five minutes, it's time to have a fairly loud conversation about your brother's insane. He needs to get put somewhere. He needs psychological help. He's writing poetry about, about raping about you. Raping which you. It's a it's an interesting poem because it's it's phrased from Leon's point of view. It's about a man who is about to commit a rape, but then sees in the face of his victim his own sister, and that thought is basically a castration, which is a an interesting poem. That's an interesting poem. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you read it to your sister's boyfriend it sounds like it's a poem about raping you but whatever like it's a very again a minefield to traverse with this guy it and it's and it's a bit of a it's head scratcher for opening like an icebreaker here's my icebreaker poem right like maybe you have something a little bit more like frostian that we could talk about firsthand as opposed to dark but i I, but I, i agree that i agree with you that 
I don't really think that it, that poem alone would be cause for concern. Now, that in conjunction with him talking to Pin yeah. and throwing his voice and this guy sitting at the dinner table and that's how we're doing it now. By the way, uh, we forgot to mention, but at this point, Pin has flesh. Flesh and hair. Yeah, which, you know, it's, it's interesting when you put him in the suit because he kind of looked like Frank. And I was like, haha, he looks like Frank. Now take the suit off. Um, <laughs> but now he's put like latex skin on him and they look not dissimilar. Yeah. He fits in with the family. He looks like he could be an uncle. Where did he get that latex skin, by the way? I don't know. Is that a latex skin store? That's true. Malabar. Oh. Yeah, he took a trip down to Malabar and got some nice uh, Krylon. Well, you skin. know what? They're rich. So I guess... Spared no expense. He called up Frank from Maniac, who's like restoring <laughs> mannequins. Got some nice mannequin skin. Who knows? Um, but yeah, he did an okay job. He did an okay job. Uh, Pin looks markedly different. That weird, confused expression on his face is still there. And ultimately, this is still an inanimate object. When Leon gets a whiff of what these two are saying about the fact that Ursula knows he's insane mm-hmm. and and has known forever and has researched as much as she can and thinks that there's no way to help him. And what do you expect me to do? And you think I don't know what's going on here? The the way that that, uh, that a person who is hiding from some barebone facts would react if confronted in this. And then, sure enough, Leon's attitude completely changes. He doesn't become aggressive, but much like his father... Becomes quiet and just excuses himself. Yep, so he's not feeling good. He's going to go work on poetry, it seems, the next couple days, too. Um, According to Ursula, anyway. Until he calls up. He calls up the old beau and decides that they're going to throw her a surprise birthday party. Now, don't tell her. It's a surprise. How quickly can you get over here? An hour? Awesome. Don't tell her. Don't tell her. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. And sure enough, when he arrives and sits down in the living room, I like how he instantly becomes awkward when he gets to the house. He's like, yeah, sure, I'll come over. We'll help uh, We'll help plan my girlfriend's surprise birthday party. Wicked. And then when he gets through the threshold of the door, he almost has that look in his face where he says to himself, oh, right, the doll is here. <laughs> like, hey, for- Pan, how's it going? Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about that. And sure enough, Leon is using his drug powers because this is what this motherfucker does. He just roofies everybody. Yeah. And fixes the dude to drink. And then they have a nice little chat. And then things get a little wobbly. A little wobbly, yeah. Poor Kendall slumping in his chair. He drops his drink. On the carpet? On the carpet. Holy fuck. We we are already being traumatized by their mother's long, their long dead mother's actions and her Mm -hmm. cleanliness that we're worried for that carpet. I know. And I can't help but think that she would just be spinning in her grave right now if she saw that. Then again, she'd be spinning in her grave if she saw his feet on the coffee table, the plastic off the furniture, eating greasy fucking takeout. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's all disgusting to me. Um, And beforehand, it's important to note that Ursula has a really good conversation with her brother when they were sitting together just eating by themselves. This is the first time they've sat alone together eating for a while. And she tells the story about what she misses about their family, about their parents. The house was always clean. They, they, because in some moments, Leon mocks his parents. In certain moments, very 
Well, when he puts a little spot of that um, Beaujolais, I swear it's Beaujolais. They're drinking yeah. probably like an 85, 84, yeah. 85 Beaujolais. And he drips a little on the tablecloth, mm-hmm. apropos of nothing, just yeah. because he can do it. Yeah. And that sparks this uh, conversation. It, 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 it's, it's, it's this remnants of childish misbehavior mm-hmm. where, oh, mom says you're not supposed to do that. So mm-hmm. you, you do it, right? Yeah. Or you're not allowed to, to put your feet up on the couch. And when no one's around, you're like, feet up on the couch? Then you put them down and you're like, mm-hmm, aha, see, I did it. I did it. And it felt good. She was saying very heartfelt. And I like this scene a lot because it is a very real emotional reaction to the fact that your parents would be have died rather suddenly. And saying they weren't bad people. They weren't bad people. Like, we had good parents. The house was clean. She misses them. Yeah, she misses getting a kiss on the cheek every single night before bed. But who didn't get a kiss on the cheek, huh? Huh? Mm. Who didn't? Who was treated like shit? Who didn't have a good upbringing? Who had horrible fucking parents? The guy standing beside her all her life. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, some people uh, can't see the forest for the trees. And she just can't really view it that way. Or at the very least, I feel she feels his disrespectful nature very mild, but it is present. He needles the the rules of the household. It seems inappropriate to her. Memories behave like that. I have many, many really, really precious and rich and wonderful, happy memories with my grandmother. Um, there's a totally different grandmother that I knew compared to the grandmother my sister knew. Because my sister is you know, quite like three years younger than me, almost three years younger than me. But just that was enough of a gap, especially in memory from young ch- of young children, because she doesn't remember back as far as I do, as far as her own childhood. She, the grandmother she remembers was the grandmother who had been diagnosed with a brain tumor and was a very different woman, a very, very different woman. So the grandmother that I know and remember most of is not the grandmother my gra- my sister remembers whatsoever. So I can totally relate to having this same parental figure in the house being remembered two entirely different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the first time that we're really seeing Leon try to deal with a young, strapping, physically fit dude. The drugs are taking an effect and has weakened him significantly. And we know that if... Leon tried to attack this guy when he was fully cognitive and aware and in control of all of his faculties. He probably would fuck Leon up. Oh, probably. And even at this point, being drugged, he's... He's, uh, not, he's not a pushover. No, he's a bit of a moose. Yeah. And he's super fit. And he's probably just ate, so it's not having the same effect. Yeah, lots of protein, probably. And Leon kind of looks to pin, like, what, a, what, a, what am I supposed to do? Because he's not just collapsing. And so he tries to get physical. There's a fight, there's a tussle, and then in desperation, Leon bludgeons him several times over the head with one of his uh, mother's statues, and seems to be the end of it. Gets blood on the carpet. Blood on the carpet, I'm sure there's blood on the statue, there's spilt drink on the floor. What the fuck is he supposed to do? Well, who better to ask but Pin? Pin's right there, so we ask Pin what he's supposed to do, and Pin, in no uncertain terms, lays it out like it's a fucking... Noir crime novel. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Get the plastic. Get the bag. bag, Put the body in the bag. And put the body in the river. Take his car. Hide it. Hide it. And clean the carpet. What he doesn't see in that whole tussle is that fucking our boy's brand spanking new Timex Indiglo watch 
Beeps on the hour. Beeps on the uh, beeps on the hour, which was a Has gift. A stopwatch. Was get uh, what gift from Ursula? His plastic eighties watch. Yeah, it's awesome. It, it it looks horrendously cheap. Yeah, but I mean, those watches all did. Like a ten dollar Timex watch, but it was probably like ninety bucks or something. Like oh that. yeah, probably. Yeah. And that was a, a just a just because gift is very sweet. She got it for him, and he in the struggle. The watch comes loose and goes underneath one of the chairs. This becomes a plot point later Mm -hmm. because guess what? Ursula is so in love that his, her boss says that she can go home early. I love that because (laughs) boss, if you're listening, I too am so in love that I think I should go home early all the time. <laughs> the look on his face is amazing because it's like he's you can tell the wheel he's like i'm not in love with anything i'm not in love at all i could be in love tomorrow i could be in love last week and it doesn't matter i'm still gonna say i am if i get out of work early that's horrible and awfully cynical of you that was a look on your face well you know what i think you're just projecting so <laughs> what i want out of work early or that you don't want me to be in love no, no, no. Be in love all you want. Just Yay. don't use it as a ruse to get out of work early. Okay, sweet. So we'll use the ruse love to get, <laughs> to get out of work. But that's what she does. And so she calls her brother, which is pretty funny to me. But I And you had pointed out, why would you call your brother to tell you that you're coming home from work early? And I, my only defense is probably not to freak him out because he's very fragile mental state. And so her showing up early might... I don't know. Agitate him, maybe. I don't know. That makes sense, and I do agree with you. It's a really, it's a really good point. So if she has done that and she calls and gets the answer of, "Oh my God, no, no, don't come home. Just go shopping or something," you know, like he's definitely acting a little strange. Yeah, he's all out of breath and shit. And he's just apparently he's just been working in the yard, but she's coming home early, and this motherfucker does not have time to bury the body. She's going to go shopping for a little bit, but he still feels like it's not enough time to bury the body or put it in the river. I don't know why. Apparently he has un- more than enough time to stack wood on it. Yeah, the wood's right there. It's right there. It's probably close in the river. I get it. You know what? And Pin suggested it, so it must be right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He knows that this has to be a delicate balance. Before, when he was wood chopping, he did ask his sister, what would you do if I hated him? What would you do if we hated each other? And she doesn't want to think about it. Uh, which is classic for this fucking family. I don't want to think about things. Yeah. I just want everything to be fine. So he knows that he can't just get rid of him. And so when he eventually, she eventually comes home, she <laughs> cooks up this lie that he has uh, went away to look after a sick friend. And why didn't he call my work? He's like, well, he probably thought you... It reminds me of Ron Burgundy. It was like, that was the doctor. You're you're knocked up. Uh, I, I don't know. I think, I think she bought it. <laughs> Better clean off your desk. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's what it reminds me of very, very much. Uh, no, no, I'm not Ron Burgundy. <laughs> it's that. Yeah. So Calden said he had to leave. Why didn't he call you? I don't know. He was in a rush. As night falls and she seems kind of okay with the idea, she heads into the living room briefly after, you know, everything seems relatively clean, but uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. He took all that time, get rid of the car, get rid of the body. Clean up the Which carpet. Which I must mention cleaning the carpet was kind of fun because it went on quite some time. He's got this frothy blood and F- a big, foam blah, a big oh. brush. Yeah, he's like really working up a big frothy pink foam. It's really gross and I love it very, very It's much. pretty good, but he got, he cleaned that carpet good. But uh-oh, uh-oh, SpaghettiO. He missed a, 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 a watch. 
and and in the same way where I just sort of cluck my tongue at Norman Bates for fucking up with the ledger, I fu- and the little scrap uh, of paper the, behind the, the toilet, and, yeah, that one too. Yeah, uh, then we definitely uh, can cluck our tongues at old Leon for not getting rid of this fucking bling. Let's well, call it what it is because he wants to be a slob, right? He wants to pour a little spot of french wine on the table to be an ass he wants to stack teacups up so i guess it just fits with his wanting to be slovenly he's missed the important clue that sends his sister after him and he tries to lie he tries to say it was a pin it was pin i i I tried to stop him but it's it's flimsy at best and (laughs) yeah and then uh in this moment she just is in hysterics and leaves the room in tears, like you do. And he talks to Pin and says, I'm not lying for you because he wants, Pin, why don't you back me up? You're supposed to, and, and Pin says, I'm not, I've, as I've never lied and I never will. I never lied to you or for you. And yeah. it's sort of, sort of true. You, you want to pick a hole in that with the fact that he had said that the aunt was there to change everything, which sounds kind of like a lie to him. but mm-hmm. And he's no fortune teller. Pin also didn't say he was a fortune teller. Mm-hmm. His name isn't Pin the Great and Uncanny mm-hmm. Seer of the Future. That's true. and But it works with the whole Pinocchio name. It does. And it also works because of the fact that... He, Pin saying that he was always so bad at lying. That's why you're so bad at it. You can't lie. Mm-hmm. And then he gives Leon that bit of real truth. It was that you did these things because you wanted to. Yeah, it was never for Ursula. It was never for her. It was for you. And in that moment, in super HD, slow motion, fucking Hasselhoff peck bouncing does come Ursula in with the fucking axe, wood chopping axe, and comes down while <laughs> Leon just sort of looks up in horror because he's from a crouching position. Looks up, his fingers curled like, no! And then cut. And then we have the house surrounded by cops while we are going through the wood pile and she's in the back of the car. And I'm thinking at this moment and audiences would be forgiven to, to for thinking, well, okay. So they come in there. She's called the police. She's killed her brother, we think. And what is, are they going to believe that it was self-defense? Well, they're not there for the body in the wood pile because the first thing we are treated to is them saying he's breathing. So he's not dead. Mm-hmm. He's just being drugged and well, well they only find well, they only find that out afterwards yeah so like after they're unpiling the woodpile like oh my god this guy's alive yeah so we think that oh shit someone must be dead someone must be dead yeah well in a lot of ways someone is because we cut to the fact that her boyfriend now they're pretty serious they're going to uh, cape cod the, the the waspiest place on earth <laughs> unless you unless you were saying that you were going to the hamptons yeah, I mean, you know, um, Muskoka's even waspier, I think. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Because if you got a cottage in your same country, then well, what the, why don't you go to Canada? I mean... <laughs> I have a cottage in my own country. Well, then, why don't you have a cottage in the Hamptons? Good question. I'm going to work on that. It's my new life goal. Why don't you have a timeshare in Cuba? Well, Castro died, though. 
Now oh, I'm okay. sad about Cuba. Yeah, yeah. Well, why don't you have a timeshare in Peru? Oh, okay. We'll do that. Why don't you have a yacht in Greece? Wow. I, I've never felt so unaccomplished in my life. Like, you're really putting it all on Front Street about how unsuccessful and unwaspy I am. Yeah. Why do you have a cottage in your own country? Because you're not a fucking wasp. That's why. Well, let me tell you something, lady. Mm-hmm. We are going back to the house, the house that it all started. And you think to yourself, why? What's the point? Does she, she must still own this house. This is where you got to read some V.C. Andrews, boy. Oh, okay. Yeah, everyone goes back to the house. Everyone goes back to the house for last looks, as we called it in the the um, media industry. Or the beginning of the sequel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> last looks, that's exactly it, yes. So... It's your bookend. Yeah, it's my bookend. So in this denouement, we have... Ursula go back to the house and she's treated to a kindly old Aunt Harriet type character from like the old Batman show. An Irish housekeeper. She's (laughs) put the plastic back on the furniture, I might add. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here we go. This is probably moments just after those little boys at the beginning of the movie ran away. Mm -hmm. And we finally understand what we were looking at because she talks to Pin. She says, hello, Pin. And then explains where she's going, what she's doing, how he's been. There's pictures of Leon on the bedside table. Mm-hmm. And then Pin, in that same creepy voice, about this tempo, asks, have you heard from Leon? To which she says no. And really impeccable acting right here because she is just beside herself with grief at this point. Talking to who she's calling Pin. The camera reveals that this is Leon. What Ursula likely did that we can infer from this scene is that that axe was meant for Pin. Yeah. And she destroyed the anatomical dummy. And when she did, Leon's psyche broke to the point where he inserted the death was of Leon and... Pin's personality fully took over his. And so, in effect, Leon is now dead. Not unlike Psycho. Yeah. Very similar to that, in fact. And now, what we know for certain is all that's left is Leon as Pin sitting in that chair needing full-time care. For the time being, at least. Extremely creepy. Very, very depressing. He looks a lot like Pin, too, with the frozen features. Yeah. Um, it looks like the he's, way his hair has been cut. He, yeah, it looks like he has either done that to himself or insisted that that's done. Because it's hard to say how much he's even willing to move. Like, how they handle his feeding. I mean, in his mind, Pin ate. So maybe he feels like that's okay. How do you handle going to the bathroom? How do you handle anything? Yeah. Yeah. Just wild, really wild. He's so fractured that he could very well get up, go to the washroom, eat food, do all these things, jerk off, who knows, and not remember any of it and Mm. think that he sits in that chair like an anatomical dummy and that somebody is taking care of him. And it's helpful that there's somebody there to take care of him because he can just project everything onto that. He's really good on, he's really good at projecting things onto other people and inanimate objects even. So I'm sure he could get by just fine. He could request that his hair be cut like pins and not remember that request and just think that these look like that all his, all his life. And then, boom, credits. And we're done pin. 
Yeah, it's really, really, really a sad ending. The actress at the end, um, the girl playing Ursula, does an impeccable job. It's very, 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 very sad. Mm -hmm. Very, very sad. And to see that what's left of her family now, what is left of her family? Her parents are dead. Her aunt is dead. Uh, the house is practically empty. It's just her brother, her brother just sitting there thinking that he is this anatomical dummy and in effect her brother being dead too i'm glad she's still dating stan because no one else would really understand her trying to describe these dynamics unless she became one of those people that is very secretive and doesn't tell other people about her family life mm -hmm. but it's nice that she's still with the same guy and that after being unconscious in a woodpile for a few hours <laughs> he just woke woke up and said yep that's the one. <laughs> it's adorable because he accepts her brother for what he is. And I guess he'll never cause him much trouble ever again, right? Unfortunately, he's stuck in a chair. But at least he sort of got his wish. He'll be taken care of in the house for the rest of his life. Mm. And however he chooses to deal with the fracturing of his family, I guess Pin can handle it better than Leon could. Yeah. Well, by far, Pin could handle anything. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Even getting raped? Pin always knew what to Did do. Did Pin ever whine about that? Did we ever hear Pin crying about the nurse? No. No, I'm glad that he was in that house kept safe, though, from horrible nurses. Me too. Fiery car wrecks. So what do we got next for him? Eraserhead. Things are staying weird. Yeah, even weirder. We're going to get out of the... Well, I want to say we're going to get out of the sexy times, but we're actually just going to, like thrust ourselves into a giant pool of sperm is how we're basically going to deal with this yeah absolutely yeah and then into <laughs> spider baby which is some sexuality that i can get behind and understand oh hell yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> is it like the the your strange attraction to a young sid egg i never said attraction i never said attraction i really like him in this role i don't think attraction is the right word <laughs> We'll see about that. Are you fixing to change my mind? Are you going to feed me a little meat or keep me away from the meat? What are you going to do to change my mind on a young Sid Haig? Well, I think uh, I'm not going to have to change your mind. I think you're going to watch Spider Baby and you're just going to be like I am with uh, some of the actors in Spider Baby, just enamored. I think I'm going to have to have a great big steak Ooh. right beforehand. Only if we catch it ourselves. Okay, sure. <laughs> and on that note... I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>